Hey there, and welcome back into another episode of the Celtics Lab Podcast. I'm your host today, Cameron Tuttle-Dubai, joined as always by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. Later, uh, we'll welcome in Jared Weiss of The Athletic to break down some of the increasingly loud buzz surrounding the Celtics and Thursday's trade deadline. Jared's going to shine some light on the recent reporting he and others have done uh, about this deadline and why Aaron Gordon, Harrison Barnes, or John Collins could end up in Boston. But first, Alex and Dr. Quinn, how are we? Well, I'm in an interesting place here, Cam, because on the one hand, I'm feeling quite good about today. It's very nice out. Uh, I had a pretty good day uh, teaching kids and breaking their brains with all sorts of fancy philosophy stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm overall feeling very good about my life. But I am also doing so with the knowledge uh, lingering in the back of my mind that Marcus Smart is in trade talks right now. And if that's the case, our next Celtics Lab episode is going to have a decidedly different vibe. I'm kind of feeling that as well. I've been trying to like inoculate myself. Uh, you know, all the chatter that I'm hearing about Marcus Smart moving on, I've heard some very good arguments from a, a variety of people who I consider smarter than I on this topic. That being said, um, it's going to sting a lot if it does happen. It's going to sting almost as much as the sound of the power drills you may or may not be able to hear from the renovation going on in the house next to the one I live in, Mexico City. Oh, it's going to sting, but it's not going to sting for me. It is going to sting for Danny Ainge. That's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, I don't think it's going to go over very well if he does move him. Well, that's uh, quite the tease. Just this is so inside baseball, but things move quickly here. Um, before trade deadline. So let's let's kind of set the table. Justin and I actually spoke to Jared earlier in a pre-recorded session, but you didn't hear that. And we're recording uh, Tuesday afternoon. You'll probably hear this Tuesday night or Wednesday. And so anything that we're about to lay out and offer is subject to change. Uh, there are a few things that we'll get to from this past week as, a, as well as more pressing matters, perhaps like the state of Tristan Thompson who it sounds like could be traded by the time we're done recording this. But first, we would be remiss if we didn't just for a second uh, make mention that Elgin Baylor passed away. He lived well into his 80s, which is really nice to hear and see in this day and age, but it's, it's a really heavy loss for the NBA community. Um, either Alex or Justin, anything that you, your thoughts on the passing of Elgin Baylor? The thing I'll say about Elgin Baylor is that without Elgin Baylor, uh, from an aesthetic standpoint, we really would not have the basketball that we have today. Um, many think of Dr. J as kind of the original progenitor of the art of dunking, but uh, by all accounts, Elgin Baylor was very much his equal. Um, he was unbelievably athletic, well ahead of a time when players could match that athleticism on a regular basis. Um, and by all accounts, he really changed the ceiling for what NBA players are capable of as far as uh, the physical and athletic abilities that they brought to the court. So uh, if you like NBA basketball today, if you like explosive dunks, uh, Robert Williams skying to block shots and uh, the general super high pace and frenetic drama of the NBA, uh, you probably have Elgin Baylor to thank for it. Really good description. Uh, as old as I am, he was way before my time and Getting into history, particularly doing Celtics Wire's daily history posts, I've, I've gained an appreciation for what he has also done off the court. 
um, in terms of pushing race relations as a major issue within the league and in society more generally. And, you know, we lost a big fighter in that regard as well. Yeah, Dr. Quinn, that's better said than what I was going to offer, but I'm going to read from Kevin Durant's Instagram. Uh, it's a screen grab of a text. Someone texts him, Elgin Baylor only played in 48 games in 1961 because he was in the army and could only play on weekends, but still averaged 39 and 19. That's my favorite NBA fact. And it looks like Durant responds, God level shit, LOL, RIP. Um, yeah, just a titan of basketball and humanity. Um, I, I think both of you summed that up really well. Uh, and you can't really talk about the Celtics without talking about the Celtics in the 60s. And you can't really talk about the NBA and the 60s without talking about Elgin Baylor. Um, another far less significant thing that happened um, since we last talked was Brad Stevens really put to bed this possibility of him uh, moving to Indiana to coach Indiana college basketball. Um, and he insisted that he's a mass hole and he gets his dunks and that's, that that's his new reality. Um, so whether or not he was really appropriative in that, I suppose if you're a Brad Stevens fan, that was really uh, nice to hear. Although I don't know that anyone really took those rumors seriously. Uh, any thoughts on that? Or that was just, Nothing burger that was never going to happen uh, from the moment that it was even considered. I think a lot of I, buyout? yeah, I think a lot of IU people uh, wanted it to happen and kind of started doing a like wish fulfillment manifesting kind of thing. Yeah. I know that this rumor primarily originated with uh, one of the ringer guys, the club trillion dude uh, who is a big college basketball guy. And I think he is a little bit of a memer and I think he originally made this as a meme and it kind of got out of control. That's my understanding. I don't think Brad Stevens was ever under serious consideration for that job. Maybe in a couple of years, but not right now. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the Indian uh, fans did believe it was going to happen. Some of whom um, I've spoken with were very, very, shall we say, open-minded to it happening to the point where it is approaching some kind of disturbing levels, but some others have been pretty nice in conversations I've had with them about it. Uh, but yeah, completely agreed, never going to happen. Just $22 million would be the third biggest buyout in sports history uh, at that rate. And all the top 10 ones that have happened in college have been football, not basketball. I think Brad is not leaving the Celtics voluntarily. Said. Uh just quickly, um, we're going to hone in more on the Celtics themselves and what's to come, but LeBron James could be out for perhaps a month, and uh, LaMelo Ball also out, um, the former with a high angle sprain, the latter with a fractured wrist, I believe. Um, any thoughts on these injuries, how they relate to Rookie of the Year, MVP, the state of the league, or, hey, these things happen? Um. The first thing to say is that uh, it's just adding to what has already been a massive bummer of a season as far as missing time with COVID and uh, injuries are concerned. We've had numerous superstars missing extended amounts of time, and the quality of play has largely been worse as a result. Shocker. Um, the thing that I would say is that as far as the MVP race goes, um, the only thing about this that makes me happy is that the door is now open for Nikola Jokic. Uh, if the Denver Nuggets can climb up to a top three seed and Jokic plays the rest of the season playing at the statistical level that he has been, uh, I think he's 
now the favorite for MVP, which would be incredibly cool. And I would love to say that Nikola Jokic is the MVP of the league. I just, I'm a big Jokic fan. He's the man. Um, maybe Embiid can come back in this race, depending on when he comes back uh, and how he looks after he comes back. Uh, James Harden and Giannis both have a very strong statistical case for MVP, as does Dame Lillard for that matter. But I think Giannis and Harden are both going to suffer from a narrative standpoint, and the MVP is ultimately a narrative-based award. Lillard is a name to watch. I think that Jokic's chances are better, but if Lillard continues to carry the Blazers night in and night out and they keep climbing up the West standings, that could be something to think about. And then for Rookie of the Year, Lamelo Ball was one of my favorite players to watch this year. He was awesome from the moment he set foot on the court, and I will be bummed that he is not here. Um, I think the door is now open for Tyrese Halliburton and Anthony Edwards to kind of assert themselves in that race. But honestly, I have a hard time seeing them get much better to the point that we can invalidate Mello's incredible production as a rookie and I would have no problem giving him the Rookie of the Year award if trends currently continue into the rest of the season. I think he's getting it. I do think there's actually now they're talking about him possibly being reevaluated in time to return this season. So if that happens and you know he's even able to get it back on the court at all, I think that it's going to be very, very difficult, even if he doesn't get back on the court at all, for them to catch up with him. I do think there's also some other concerns uh, with LeBron being out for so long, particularly considering that Anthony Davis is likely not back for another three weeks or so. I don't think that the Lakers are going to be in any kind of a danger of falling out of the playoff picture, but they are going to find themselves into any situation where it's going to make the Western Conference uh, end of the season and the, the playoffs pretty interesting. Before that, though, maybe we can stay a little focused on the present. We've got Jared coming up, which you're all here for. You don't care about what we have to say. And we are actually going to play a game with uh, trade deadlines past. But uh, the Celtics find themselves in an interesting position. At the time of this podcast, again, Tuesday afternoon, they're eighth in the East, 21 and 22, coming off a pretty meh stretch of games that we'll get into here. And importantly... They have a back-to-back, one of those mini COVID series against Milwaukee in Milwaukee uh, this coming Wednesday uh, and this coming Friday, both in or both aired on ESPN. Um, I think Giannis and newly minted Buck PJ Tucker could be questionable for Wednesday. Uh, I don't think that they would miss Friday, but these are two big games for a Celtics team, perhaps spinning its tires. Uh, so maybe we should get into what we've seen as of late from the Celtics before we figure out whether or not this roster is even going to look the same or not this time next week. Um, Boston lost to Sacramento in a pretty bad way. Uh, they won against the Magic with 10 threes from Jalen Brown and zero turnovers. Um, and then a very tough overtime loss against Memphis. Importantly, uh, Jason Tatum... <laughs> Posted a picture of him eating hot wings on Snapchat before the game and then was ruled out with an illness. Uh, so my advice to you is if you are in Memphis and you are planning on enjoying some local cuisine, don't schedule a professional basketball game thereafter. Uh, so what, do we, what did we get from these games? What stood out? What was good? What was bad? What was intriguing? Of, of the stuff that I caught, I caught, I would say about 
80% of these past three games. Um, and of the stuff that I did catch, a couple of things stood out to me. One, Jalen Brown appears to have broken out of his slump, which he was in prior to the All-Star break, which is good. He is looking a lot better. Threes are going down. He's looking more aggressive attacking the rim, uh, and his defense has improved. Uh, Marcus Smart, I think, has looked solid. Um, he's been, you know, his shot selection is always going to be a little iffy, but um, he has, for the most part, I think, been around doing Marcus Smart things. Uh, what's concerning is, and it has been for some time, the Boston Celtics bench depth, which is extremely bad. We are playing a lot of dudes that uh, in Grant Williams, Peyton Pritchard, Jeff Teague, uh, you know, semi Ojale, the list goes on. A lot of dudes who are being asked to play pretty substantial minutes and are not currently living up to the bill. Um, another area to, of course, keep an eye on is Kemba Walker, uh, who has not had 20 points in a game since the win against the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, Kemba is, of course, still kind of getting into rhythm, having uh, the fact that he doesn't play back-to-backs is uh, still troubling for sure, but his production so far has been middling to say the least. So uh, the big takeaways that I have is Jalen looks better. Smart looks better. Obviously Rob has just been a revelation. He's looking great. It's seemingly every night and the Celtics are doing some things a little better inconsistently, but they are moving the ball a little better. The defensive effort looks a little bit more consistent but there are still some glaring flaws uh, on this team, particularly when it comes to the bench production. You know, I can't really add too much to that. Uh, the ball movement does indeed look better. Uh, the, I would push back on the, on the defense a little bit. It is it is better, but it's still very bad. And the bench is really the reason why I think uh, they just can't defend shit. When <laughs> pardon my language, uh, when when the bench is in. I mean, even sometimes when when the starters are in in the third quarter, it just looks terrible. And like, how do you establish a rhythm when you know one third of the games that are going to be happening in the season you cannot have one of your best players playing in? There are some serious issues that I think are going to be addressed, uh, uh, hopefully, this trade deadline, and if not soon, uh, because this team is just not going to work as it's currently constructed. Yeah, the Celtics continue to be one of the worst teams in the fourth quarter by a really healthy margin. Um, and I don't know how you succeed without figuring that out. Um, the offense, to me, is really listless for reasons that we've identified. Um, there are moments where perhaps that's been alleviated, but it's not it's not inspired basketball. Um, we, because the, the story will get away from us pretty quickly. Um, we can't say too much about the Tristan Thompson buzz that presumably our listeners have, uh, heard, but just in summary, uh, things in the Celtics locker room perhaps aren't that happy. And this might revolve around Tristan Thompson, uh, KOC of the ringer and others have reported that, uh, Justin Thompson's understanding of COVID protocols, um, among other things, has kind of perhaps created a riff. And as this trade deadline gears up, uh, Alex, I think that you felt pretty confident uh, yeah. Mr. Thompson's days in Boston are numbered. The fact that he has been out for the amount of time that he has, and you know, obviously COVID protocol is something to be taken seriously. We've seen players all over the league miss a substantial number of games, but Tristan Thompson has missed a lot of time with COVID protocol. And it's gotten to the point where I am starting to think that Tristan Thompson is being held out of Celtics team activities primarily because he is being moved somewhere. 
Um, and it makes sense. He is probably the best salary dump guy that we have in terms of his cap figure. He's making 19 million over the course of two years. That is an extremely movable contract, uh, especially for most of the players available at the trade deadline. So I, I suspect that Tristan Thompson will not be on this team for a whole lot longer, uh, especially with the increased reliance on Robert Williams as the Celtics primary backup center. Um, I agree. I don't really, I, I, I've kind of had the feeling that there's something not right with him for a while now. Um, I joked previously about him trying to kind of get out of being traded and I might not have been joking in reality. Uh, it could be, you know, he could just be flouting. There have been, you know, Instagrams of him on his uh, kid's um, parent uh, celebrating a birthday party, his birthday um, maskless and it just seems like whether it's intentional um, flouting um, within, you know, the goal of making yourself untradeable or whether he's just in a situation where he, he just doesn't get it. It ultimately amounts to the same thing. And they, 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 I think they need to get off of his salary. He's just kind of a big dead weight on this team in terms of what he's been able to do, even though he has gotten, you know, reasonably better when he is playing, but if you're not playing, what's the point? So that's a good segue, right? The trade day, the trade deadline, excuse me, functions as two great opportunities. The first is to bring in new talent, new players, but it's also a way to shuffle the deck in the locker room. So I think we just established that whether or not the Celtics are desperate to bring in high level talent, maybe even just kind of opening the windows, so to speak, uh, and letting the stink out could be helpful. Um, So we'll bring on Jared Weiss of the athletic shortly enough to kind of break down what he's hearing and seeing, but first uh, to kind of ground ourselves in, reality we have two and a half history teachers on the pod uh why don't we go ahead and visit kind of the history of the recent trade deadline with the celtics so what i'm going to do is i'm just going to read you uh some of the things that have happened in trade deadlines past and as objective diehard celtics fans uh tell us what you remember feeling thinking or retroactively how that looks Um, with a little space between. And the first one, I think, is a really good uh, pace setter. The last time the Celtics were really up to anything at the deadline was 2018 when they signed Greg Monroe. Dr. Quinn, what do you remember thinking at the time, and how does that look in the rear view? I was very excited. Ha! (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Yeah. (laughs) No lie. The moose. (laughs) Yep. I was wrong. how does it look in the rear view? (laughs) Uh, Alex, what do you remember? Oh, I was hyped. I remember um, for multiple weeks prior to the deadline, because the Celtics were not in a position where they could make a lot of moves as per usual. Um, And I remember thinking, you know, if Greg Monroe gets bought out, this could be a really good fit for this team. Of course, what I hadn't realized was that Greg Monroe was a very different player from the one that I had initially projected him to be. Didn't watch a lot of Pistons basketball that year. So um, I, I thought that Greg would be a nice bolster to what was ultimately a kind of cursed team, but didn't work out that way, did it? No show in the playoffs, didn't play like really any minutes at all. Did like one good game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think that's a cautionary tale for would be trade uh, hype and then also the buyout market. So good luck with LaMarcus Aldridge. It's one of the listeners <laughs> down in Miami. Uh, Okay, so prior to that, something very interesting happened. Um, as best I could tell, 2015 
reaching back was the next time the Celtics were active at the trade deadline. And that was a very successful trade deadline. Um, for those of us who remember, that was the flurry. I think like a quarter of the, tr- the league got traded in like half an hour. Uh, the Celtics did two very fantastic things. They traded Marcus Thornton uh, for Mr. Isaiah Thomas. And they also traded Tayshaun Prince for Jonas Jerebko and Gigi Datome, which was a lot of fun. Pick. And some picks, yeah. Uh, I'm, well, I'm going to think... be with the pick history here. Hmm. Uh, so what do we remember from that moment, and how do we view it looking back? I was incredibly excited at the time. I really liked Isaiah Thomas in his Kings days. I just really thought that that was a very fun player. And I remember I was in college at the Earlham College Rose City Coffee Shop uh, procrastinating on a paper that was due the next day. And I opened my phone to take a look at an ESPN notification that Danny Ainge had pulled off the Isaiah Thomas trade. And I was thrilled beyond all belief. Uh, I really liked Isaiah coming in. As I said before, the Celtics were frankly dog shit that year and just needed Mm -hmm. anything fun or cool to happen to them. And Isaiah Thomas was really fun and really cool. So I was excited. I wasn't excited as I should have been had I been able to see the future, but uh, just the fact that, you know, I thought the Suns had made a big mistake and we were going to get a really good backup role player. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I'm embarrassingly of the same mindset. Whatever was going on in Phoenix with all those point guards, I couldn't have told you that Isaiah Thomas would emerge as an all-star and a folk hero. And I'd also suggest, I forget, specifically how Tayshaun Prince ended up in Boston. He was only there for like six weeks um, and he didn't log that much playing time, but uh, Jonas Jerebko and Gigi Tatome, uh, Jerebko made an impact. I mean, he wasn't the most yeah. consequential role player, but you know, he got his hands dirty. And I'm a big Jerebko guy. <laughs> I'd, I mean, Luigi Tatome, that was a fun, fun, fun get. So with respect to Tayshaun Prince, I mean, just for, sheer parlor intrigue what a great trade that was and i think the pick became aaron neesmith didn't it uh i would have to look that up later in this activity i got a little more specific with the picks but Hmm. uh, a a better version (laughs) a better podcast host would have done their homework you know jordan crawford is an example of brad stevens at his best he turned a player that was basically out of the league into a player of the week guy and basically I mean, for a while, Jordan Crawford was our starting point guard. So, sure, why not? I like Jason Collins, and I particularly like Leandro Barbosa, the Brazilian blur. I was kind of sad to see him go, um, but, you know, Crawford helped make up for it. Yeah, and I think, uh, Alex, to your point, Brad Stevens is really good with a good, quick point guard, which makes Kemba's uh, lagging injury so much more frustrating. Um, Let's go back to 2011. Um, at the deadline, the Celtics signed Chris Johnson. They traded Marquise Daniels uh, to Sacramento for a second-round pick. They traded uh, Semi Erdin and Luke Herringody to Cleveland for a second-round pick. And they also traded Kendrick Perkins and Lil Nate Robinson to the Thunder for Jeff Green, Nanad Kristich, and some picks, which I think became Fab Mello and Lucas uh, Norguera. Is that how you say his name? I haven't. Norguera. Yeah, I haven't thought about that guy in a while. Um, I'll take the lead on this. That was so heartbreaking. Oh my goodness. Remember, I believe that's the season that the Celtics were the stars of ESPN's The Association. Yep. So they had it on camera, Perk and Rondo, two very, very good friends. 
emotionally processing this this trade. Um, I understand why the trade was made, and also I'm so shocked that Jeff Green is still like a productive member of the NBA community. Uh, but man, that was a as a fan and as someone who you know had eyes for a trip to the finals. That was disappointing and taking away Rondo's best friend that that really hurt so Danny Ainge please don't trade Javante Green yeah that was a tough one I remember where I was with that one too I was in high school and um you know it was interesting because if you watch the Celtics that year you could tell that Perk was really not the same guy he was lugging up the court his uh rebounding and scoring had both fallen off a cliff he was super inefficient and uh the kind of stalwart defensive presence that helped the celtics uh win the title in 2008 really wasn't there anymore so i kind of figured that perkins was a trade candidate at that time um but i was still quite sad to see him go. And I just didn't know enough about Jeff Green to really be enthused. And, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you didn't argue about that trade, but <laughs> Jeff, Green was, Jeff Green was fine, I think. Yeah. Uh, but I was definitely bummed out about that one. Yeah, it was the right trade, but it still sucked to have happen. It was really the first time it sunk in that the, the 2008 title core was ending. To say the least. Uh, so just quickly, we don't. It's a little too far in the past. We don't need to dwell on it. But back in 2010, uh, Celtics landed Marcus Landry and Lil Nate Robinson for J.R. Giddens, Eddie House, and Henry Walker. How's that for a blast from the past? And then, really, you have to go back to 2005 for another consequential Celtics trade deadline trade, um, where the Celtics landed Antoine Walker for Tom Gugliotta, Gary Payton, and Michael Stewart, which. Man, 2005 is a crazy time. And I think the year before, and I didn't know this, uh, that trade that saw Rasheed Wallace go to the Hawks for 48 hours, the Celtics were a facilitator on that, and I don't think I knew that. Um, so shout out uh, to Tom Gugliotta. <laughs> I haven't shouted him out in a while. So gentlemen, with that history lesson in the books, how are we feeling about the upcoming trade deadline? Danny, this is a message to Danny Ainge specifically. I know that you have had your eye on Aaron Gordon for a couple of years now. Aaron Gordon's a fine player. Perfectly nice. Would be happy to have him on the team. If they ask for Marcus, hang up the phone. If you don't hang up the phone and Marcus Smart is not a Celtic by the end of next week, I will be having words with you. Rest assured. Uh, Dr. Quinn, you going to follow that up? (laughs) I don't know what to say after that. Uh, I'm trying to steal myself for a variety. It just seems like this could go any which way at this point. It seems like something could swoop in out of left field entirely and just land on us. And we're all just like, well, how did that happen? But realistically, I'm mostly trying to steal myself for having pretty much the same team with maybe Wayne Ellington, just with everything else that we have to consider. Yeah. You know what? I'm just going to say that I'm not as plugged in as other folks and so I'm going to let smarter people than I tell me how to feel, which is exactly why we've decided to bring on Jared Weiss of The Athletic. All right. And now uh, we're joined by Celtics, former Celtics Wire editor and current Athletic NBA insider Jared Weiss. He's instructed us to not ask him how he's doing and dive right into all things trade deadline. Jared, do- <laughs> Jared's doing great for anyone who's truly curious. 
Jared, alongside Sam Amick and Shams Tarani of The Athletic, have re- reported quite a bit this week, um, including that Aaron Gordon of the Orlando Magic has requested uh, a trade, um, that things might be heating up in Atlanta, and that has evolved into conversations about the future of Marcus Smart in Boston. So, Jared, we're just going to run through some of the teams and names that have been kind of at the top of the NBA rumor mill and ask for your uh, expertise and, and if you can divulge anything you've heard. Um, so if that works with you, let's start in Atlanta. Uh, there's been a lot of buzz about the Hawks and the future of John Collins or Bogdan Bogdanovich. Um, what have you heard and how has that uh, been tied to Boston? You know, it's, what's funny is so that report that we put out on Monday morning, I filed that at one in the morning or something like that. And then by the time I went to bed yesterday, it was already pretty outdated. And that's how these things always go, of course. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the thing that I was told yesterday was that it seems like the Celtics focus has shifted more towards the Gordon deal and away from a Collins package. And when the, the, the funny thing was you're trying to parse through the tea leaves of everything was how could Marcus Smart be involved in a package for John Collins and Bogdan Bogdanovich? But then now I'm hearing him coming up in the Saren Gordon deal. And that's been pretty widely reported at this point. We're not the only ones reporting that. So it's, it's like, I guess at this point, you just kind of come to accept that Marcus Smart could potentially be traded, uh, which makes sense because in this deal, we're talking about a good starter that's younger and fits a current, at least, well, it fits a need right now, but I guess you're going to have new needs when you move on from Marcus Smart and you're acquiring a really good in his prime, or I shouldn't say really good, but a good in his prime playmaker, playmaking wing that's like a versatile wing that can run pick and roll can shoot the ball pretty well that's being miscast in their current situation and will benefit greatly from being in a situation where they're basically the sixth man of the team so it definitely makes a lot of sense and it's i mean the big thing that i've come to realize over the last couple years of marcus smart rumor mongering is that as much as the team values him as amazing and unique as the things he does are as high a designation as first team, all defense and coming forth in defensive player of the year rankings is because of his offensive erraticism, which has definitely gotten better. It just, it really, it really caps his value. And it just, it really seems like teams are just not willing to consider him as a fringe all-star quite in the way that people expect. But again, I mean, if the, well, well, here's the thing. So if it was just Marcus Smart for these guys, then you would feel like that's fringe all-star value there, and that's fair. But then there's also two first-round picks involved in these mm-hmm. frameworks that I've been hearing about. So that's what that's when you're feeling like, okay, clearly Smart is being valued as like an average starter when I think everyone that's been watching him up close for years feels like he's he's a very good starter and that he should be worth trading for a good you know, a good potential but struggling starter in a guy like Aaron Gordon. One of, the things, yeah, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is how do you think trading multiple picks for this deal might impact, for example, getting off of Kemba's deal in the future or making a bigger deal later on down the road? Significantly, because all they all they really have for a lot, you know, for like if if they want to move off of Kemba Walker, then as of now, everything that I've been told from teams around the league from people that are just like in the know from other very well-qualified speculators. It's that Kevin Walker has negative trade asset value at this moment, which is like the least surprising thing ever, right? He's uh, about to turn a 31 year old point guard 
who has been hurt and has not been playing well for a year now. Um, and he already was a type of player who was, you know, who was, there was a very high likelihood that he was going to, his prime was going to end quicker and fall off harder than most players because of his size and his role. So teams are just really alarmed by him right now and they just don't want to take the risk. And everyone knows the upside of Kemba Walker. I mean, Kemba Walker is a is an ideal player for a contending team most of the time as your third star, which is what the Celtics are trying to do. So, you know, Kemba has to be great. He has to be playing like he was playing before the knee uh, uh, arthritis set in February a year ago. If he does that over the course of the rest of the season, then he probably could recover some value, but not nearly as much value as you would expect for an all-star uh, max player. So, so like basically he could go from like you need to attach picks to be able to move him to you just can move him without having to attach picks essentially. And so that you know that's where there becomes some flexibility. But basically, to answer your question, if that doesn't happen, which frankly it's it's less it's more likely it doesn't happen than likely it does happen, then if the Celtics were to include two first round picks here, it would be basically mean that they're stuck with Kemba Walker if they want to try to make a big home run trade. But it really seems like if they're making this this trade, there is no there is no more big home run trade in the future. Right. And one of the things we've talked about on this podcast is Marcus Smart, unfortunately, has one of those kind of mid-range contracts that's movable. If the payroll gets even more top-heavy and there is a move to be made, we'll only hear his name moving forward. Um, Jared, I do want to talk to you more about Aaron Gordon, but I think it's, I suppose it's worth addressing that Jalen Brown's name has even been floated in rumors. In a word, what do you think of the possibility of the Celtics trading Jalen Brown? Bullshit. Cool. I love that word. Okay, let's move forward. Uh, So you reported about uh, Aaron Gordon, who, correct me if I'm wrong, as uh, late as February had requested a trade from Orlando. Uh, What are you hearing about the state of the Aaron Gordon trade market, where Boston fits in on that, and anything else magic related? Yeah, and it's important to note with the trade request thing, um, this was this was not a situation uh, that a lot of people miss in the context of the story, which was laid out right below that that part of the story. Of um, the magic, we're like, oh, we love Aaron Gordon. We're building our future around Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon comes in here and says, "I'm a big star. Get me out of Orlando." The place where there are no stars or mythical creatures or anything, as we know about Orlando. That's not what happened. Orlando has been trading him for a year now, and he's been sitting around trying, you know, being like being professional about it, but quietly behind the scenes wanting to leave. And then it just got to the point where his representative went to their president of basketball operations and said, All right, you got you gotta move us now. Where we 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 can't keep sitting here listening to trade rumors happening. Like we want you to move us now, which is not like a trade demand. That's that's uh, like you've been shopping us and you keep balking on all these trades, including at draft night. They got to the they got to the tape um, to the finish line on the trade of Portland that ended up going for Robert Covington to the point that Portland thought the deal was done. And then I was told that Jeff Weltman, the president of basketball operations, basically then just kind of ghosted Portland and then ended up backing out of the deal but they portland thought the trade was done the players on portland thought the trade was done aaron gordon i think thought he was going to be a portland trailblazer which would have been an ideal fit for him obviously and apparently portland is still trying to go after him but i think that because they already made the covington trade they just can't really compete with the other offers that are out there so it sounds like they've fallen out of the race now 
Um, but so this was just, you know, Gordon just tired of them almost trading him over and over again. It's like, it's obvious the team is trying to move him. You know, you remember how it happened with Ray Allen in Boston, where Ray Allen got traded to the Grizzlies for OG Mayo. And then I think after the trade was agreed upon, for some reason it fell apart from there. And so at that point, Ray was like, all right, well, you literally trade me and told me we've traded you and then canceled. So at this point, like, it makes sense for me to leave. Um, And I think Aaron's kind of in that same situation. And it makes sense for him because he's wasting his career in Orlando. Orlando is a place that is relying on him to be its kind of primary offensive creator. And that is not what he's good at. And he knows that. He knows that he should be surrounded by players that can be the initiators and he can play off of them. And that plays to his strength significantly. So that's why I think that's why ever since the TPE came to be with Hayward, um, I mean, I had a lot of sources telling me, like, look for Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon's wanting out. But I, I objectively felt that Aaron Gordon was the top target for them because you put him next to the Jays, especially if there's another point guard still like Kemba or Marcus or whatever, that is going to just allow him to do what he does best, and he's going to really thrive in that situation. So uh, along with Aaron Gordon's name, either tied to Boston or elsewhere, um, Evan Fournier has been uh, an independent of reporting that a Kemba Birch Tristan Thompson, uh, either addition or side trade, uh, could be involved. I would expect, you know, I, um, so Ken Birch wants out of Orlando, uh, wants to go to Toronto, apparently. He's from um, Canada, or he, he played school, or he's from Montreal, right? I think so, yeah. yeah. So, although he would be playing for Tampa at this point, right? So that's the, weird, south. <laughs> that's the weird thing. Well, the weird thing about it is because he's a free agent now, I mean, Toronto would have his bird rights, so I guess it would make it easier for him to resign, but he wouldn't get to go home at all at this point for the season. So he actually wouldn't even really move. He would just move like a couple, like a like hundred miles down the street, basically to Tampa. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, like they could do a deal where it's Birch, Fournier, and Aaron Gordon for smart, I think Tristan Thompson, Shemi Ojale, and probably one other player like Javante Green or something like that. And they can make the money work that way and not touch the, the Hayward TPE because um, I'm pretty sure Birch would go into the Ennis Cantor TPE or something along those lines. Um, but so they could do that, and the Celtics would prefer that because that way they could keep the TPE dry and then potentially make another crazy move or potentially find a deal where they could move Kemba Walker and bring a great player back in. So it is very possible that that's something that happens. And I would bet that that's probably what they're working on today as they get close to trying to complete this deal, if it really does happen. So that I think, I think that's the ideal way to go. Um, But the problem though, is that maybe that's where the second draft pick comes into play in this situation is Mm -hmm. that if you're going to get, Orlando to take on Tristan Thompson, someone who they just don't really need, you know, for another year at nearly $10 million a year, then they're going to want more draft compensation on top of that. But it's important to note, just because the Celtics are sending multiple draft picks, presumably, doesn't mean that they're just sending unprotected first round picks. They could be sending picks with certain protections on them that turn them into second rounders eventually. So, you know, this could, it could end up being that the Celtics don't actually surrender to first round picks at the end of the day. So correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like you're thinking either the Celtics and the Magic are going to go big or go home. Not necessarily because uh, you could do a smart for Gordon trade straight up and it's easy to pull off. Um, I I think it's just the Celtics feel that 
so like Fournier also wants out of Orlando. <laughs> a lot of people want out of Orlando. Um, you know, so um, he, he'd like to get moved. It makes sense for them to move him. If they can turn him into some sort of future draft capital, I had heard that there was a deal out there of, of, of like a second rounder and a moderate player like a DeLon Wright or something like that that was potentially out there for him, and that didn't happen. But so if they can get some modicum of long-term draft asset value out of a guy that's about to expire who they don't even want on their team necessarily. Well, I mean, they would be fine with him, but like they don't need him on their team and they're not going to resign him. Then that's a great move on their part. Um, and, but just like for the Celtics, it's like, it has to be low asset value given up for him because they're also unlikely to resign him. Your colleague, Joe Varden mentioned that the Celtics might be looking at some other big deals. Is that kind of a reference to the Collins thing or is there something else maybe potentially brewing that we just don't know about? Um, I, nothing that I, I know about besides Collins and Barnes. Those have been the three that I've been hearing about nonstop over the past few days. Really the Barnes stuff has quieted down because there's been so much noise on Gordon. Um, but I'm not sure. I mean, those are all pretty big trades. So I, you know, I, I don't know of anything else that I can think of that would be bigger than that. So oh, I, 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 I should I should say Norm Powell. Yeah, I, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I'm not sure how they would get involved with the Norm Powell deal. Um, the difference is Norm Powell, I think, is a lot more resignable than Evan Fournier. The problem is he's unrestricted. No, actually, he is restricted, isn't he? He's I got a, he's got a um, player option for next year. Oh, okay, which he's not going to take. He's worth twenty million dollars. Right. Yeah. He's going to take that. Was eleven million or so on the PO? Yeah. So, so, so the problem is it's just it's another guy. That's worth, he's worth a lot because he's a really good player, but it's like you're not you're, there's so much risk of him losing. The Celtics are leaving. The Celtics in the past have always been not willing to include draft capital for guys that were rentals. They just don't, they don't do rentals, and generally that's worked out fine for them. But obviously their franchise is in a much different situation than it has been in the past. The runway is they're approaching the end of the runway here, and they have to take off. Jared, it, it looks like the, we've spent time on this. We don't have to really get in the weeds, but uh, there's some complications for bringing in a big contract vis-a-vis um, -vis the Celtics tax bill. Um, so bringing in a, a big name uh, or a big contract is very exciting and perhaps, to your point, helps this championship window reassert itself or take off anew. Uh, but it does ask ownership to perhaps foot a, a tax bill that is in the 20s of millions of dollars. Uh, what kind of appetite do you think ownership has for a hefty tax bill with this team largely uh, residing with this core? So I, I've always, you know, that's the, that's, I think the biggest unknown around this team. Few people seem to claim that they know what the answer is. Maybe they do. Um, I've the, basically I have been hinted that you shouldn't be certain that the Celtics are willing to take a deep dive into the tax. Um, and so I think it, I think a deep dive means what um, Golden State is doing, for instance, where they, they, they signed Kelly Oubre for $15 million and also are paying like $60 million on top of that for luxury tax. Right. But they can do that because every Silicon Valley billionaire that walks into one of their like underground cavern booths or whatever pays like $50,000 a ticket. So it's like they... Once the Chase Center reopens, it's gonna it's gonna be like a, a cash printing machine, basically. The Celtics, I don't think they have that level of revenue. Not to mention, they don't the Celtics owners don't even own the arena, 
So maybe their other business ventures are doing well and their appetite is still as feverish as it was before. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if the pandemic has forced them to kind of be a little bit more austere in their planning. So I, I'm definitely certain that they would jump 10 to $15 million into the tax, which turns into probably like a 30 to $45 million bill on top of it. Um, but I don't know if they would be, basically it's like, I don't know if they'd be willing to keep, have basically four to five max players on the roster, which they almost have done in the past, but haven't quite come, you know, haven't quite done in the past. Mm-hmm. So you know, that, that when you do that, that's when you're paying a, a tax bill over 150 million usually. Right. Well, Jared, we'll get you out of here on this uh, preemptively. Thank you for your time and a, a pretty busy week in the NBA, I'd say. Uh, just your best guess on what the Celtics look like uh, this time on Friday and what kind of the Eastern Conference looks like this time on Friday, because we know teams like the Sixers are sniffing around, say, Kyle Lowry, um, or the Heat might uh, make a splash. So if you were a betting man, and I truly don't know if you are, um, where do you think, what do you think the state of the Celtics is post-deadline and the state of the East is post-deadline? I'm not a betting man, but I'm going to put $1 on this. Um, I, I think the big thing is that Kyle Lowry is going to Miami or Philadelphia. There's just, there's just no reason for it not to happen. It's just, it would just be silly if it didn't happen. Um, so that's happening. And I think the Celtics should hope he goes to Miami because if Philadelphia gets him, I think Philadelphia wins the championship. So, but then Miami is going to be really freaking good as well. Although Miami has to give up a lot more, I think, than Philadelphia does to make the money work. So that, that'll be fascinating. But so I do think the Celtics are going to trade for one of these guys. Uh, the, I think the rotation will be noticeably different after the trade deadline between, I think, some of these vets getting cleared out so that the younger guys, some of these younger guys can play, and then them bringing in at least one you know, core top seven rotation player in at the very least. I think that, that I would just be shocked if that didn't happen um, because I think this team has enough uh, potential to salvage. And even if you don't trade the top core four or five guys, you still can improve this team enough that it can still be somewhat competitive without really screwing up your long-term plans or long-term cap flexibility. And then of course, like, Daniel Tice is expiring, so like they might want to make a move there now that Rob Williams is playing well. Um, although I think Tice is too important to this team that they would rather just try to move Thompson anyway. Um, but so I think something like that is going to happen at the very least, and I would be really surprised if they don't make a move for one of Gordon, Collins, or Barnes. I, I would be very surprised if that didn't happen um, because I just don't see the guy in this offseason that they get with the trade exception that is worth going for because I don't see them trading Jalen Brown for Bradley Beal, which if they wanted to do that, I think that would probably get them Bradley Beal. I think that's the best offer in the NBA out there for, um, for Washington. But I just, I don't think, I don't think that improves the team. Like Jalen Brown is too good of a player. I don't think that improves the team enough that they would, that they would win. Cause like, look at Washington, Bradley Beal's playing at an MVP level Russell Westbrook is playing at an MVP level almost, and they still can't really win. And the Celtics team isn't that much better than that Washington supporting <laughs> cast. I'd like to say they play better defense, but we know that that's probably not true. Well, everyone, every, every, every entity that exists in the world plays better defense than Washington. Uh, but the Celtics, <laughs> are only, the Celtics are only slightly better, though. 
slightly better. We'll have to take it. Well, uh, Jared, thanks so much for your time. Uh, we know this is a busy week. Jared is an insider for The Athletic. You can find him wherever you find NBA content, I'm sure. Jared, thanks for coming in. Celtics wire forever, boys. Celtics wire forever. All right, thanks again for Jared Weiss coming in to talk to us. Uh, we're not sure how current that information will be. Things are going to move quick. So make sure you follow up with Jared over at The Athletic throughout this week. Make sure you follow up with Dr. Quinn over at Celtics Wire throughout this week. And make sure you follow up with Alex throughout this week for something very different. Alex? Uh, yeah. So uh, as some of you might know, I'm in a band. I play music sometimes. Uh, and if you like the song that you heard at the beginning of this podcast when we transitioned in, I have good news for you. We've got a whole nother album worth of songs just like that one, except better, coming out in three days. Check out Divine Sweater. That's Divine Sweater. It's in Divine, the thing that comes from God, and Sweater, the thing that you put on when you're cold, uh, on all social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and, of course, Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Bandcamp for releases and other good songs like that one. Yeah, absolutely. So happy at Norruz to those who celebrated. Happy Passover to folks who will celebrate. And to Celtics fans, buckle up. Catch you later.